0: We've been working on collectively aligning our understanding of Jesus more and more to the Bible, to what Jesus says about himself and his word. Because that's the best thing that can happen for us as a church family, as, as a people of God, as a local flock. Like to get a shared understanding of Jesus is going to pay out dividends for us as we suffer together, as we are on mission together. And so that's why we're in the series. And today, specifically in our passage in John chapter 11, we're going to find out another part of Jesus that might actually redefine some of your theology or some of your Christology. In other words, how you understand Jesus, right? Because, and, and, and just a warning, it might hurt. It might not be fun. It might change your perspective about Jesus in a way. And I'm hoping that it will, because God's Word ultimately is supposed to be what defines our understanding of Jesus above our own subjective reality. And so let me just kind of get us into the context of where we are back in the Gospel of John, just so we're all on the same page here. Uh, Here's where we are. Well, sorry, this is, this is, let me actually rephrase that. This is an outline of the gospel of John. You have the prologue, which is uh, chapter one, verses one through 18. And then after that, you have Jesus's public ministry, right? You can find that through chapter one, all the way up to chapter 12, verse 50. From there, then we can move into the private ministry of Jesus, where he's up in the upper room with the disciples. He's praying. That's chapters 13 through 17. And then we get into uh, his passion ministry, which is where he's on the cross, chapters 18 through 20, and then the epilogue in chapter 21. Now, uh, I said we started it last year. I went and I found out exactly when we started our first sermon in the Gospel of John. It was February 20, sorry, February 13th, 2022. So over a year and a half ago, almost, I'd say, and uh, we're, we're there. Um, That's a lot to go. I'm thinking by the end of uh, of this semester, back, back like in October, uh, we should at least be in section three. Um, we definitely should be in section three. <laughs> Lord willing, please. Um, but if you know me, I like to go slow and steady, uh, because I believe God's word is so valuable and important on every level, uh, and that every word matters. And so I'm willing to slow down, and I hope you guys are willing to as well. Now, so far in this series, uh, we have uh, kind of looked at several different signs of Jesus. The Gospel of John contains seven signs or seven miracles about Jesus, That things that John included in his Gospel that helped us know, man, this really is Jesus, this really is the Messiah. And so, what are some of the things, one of the signs that you can remember? Just start shouting some of them out. Signs that you can remember that we've already covered. Huh? Water into wine. I like it. What else? Uh, Yep, feeding 5,000. Yep, walked on water. He, He cleansed the temple, right? That was the second one that was recorded. The third one was the healing of the nobleman's son from a distance, right? The fourth one, he healed the lame man who was by the pool of Bethesda, trying to get better through the pool. And Jesus is like, that ain't gonna help. I got what you need. And then he feeds the multitude, the 5,000, because he is the bread of life. And then we also see in chapter nine that he healed a blind man, right? And and so all of these are different signs pointing us to Jesus about who he is, about his nature. And today we're getting to the seventh sign, Okay, I will do that. That's, I like that. That worked well. Vanna White. Yeah. Today we're at the seventh sign, the final recorded sign in the Gospel of John that John is saying, hey, look at this, because this going to point you to the deepest reality about who Jesus is, and this sign is a doozy. Like This is the the pinnacle. This is the climax. This is the highest we go in the Gospel of John as far as the seven recorded signs. But you and I both know there's something even higher than that, which is the cross which ultimately points to who Jesus is. Now, this story is one of my favorite stories to preach. I I think I've preached this story, this chapter, 25 to 30 times in the life of my ministry so far, And, 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 and I just keep going back to it and finding more and more and more and more, and I'm in love with this story because it demonstrates so much of the gospel, and so I'm glad to uh, to, to preach it, but I will say that there's too much in here for us to tackle the whole story in one week. In fact, some of the passages that Doug read for us this morning, uh, we're not even going to be able to go through all of them. We're going to have to touch them on the next week, but I'm going to try to get after what we can this week. So with that, let's start back in verse 1. This is what it says. Now a man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair, which, by the way, gets recorded in John chapter 12. <laughs> That's the next chapter. Uh, so we're, uh, we're supposed to be assuming that we already know that that happens. And it was her brother, Lazarus, who was sick. So the sisters sent a message to him. Lord, the one you love is sick. So guys, we have... Something come up in a life of a family here. We have what we could probably call a crisis moment. It's a crisis moment in the life of these siblings. These two sisters have a brother, and this brother is deathly ill. He's sick, He's and it's it's not looking good. The, 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 the ending of the story is just not looking like they want it to look, or the way that they want it to look, and so... Uh, one of the things that they do is they have this crisis and they think, well, hey, hey, we know a guy. There's this guy named Jesus. He's good friends with us. We he, we love him. He he actually loves us. Why don't we just send word for to him? So the sisters get this game plan in motion, right? I mean, they know that this Jesus guy has healed people before. Remember the two signs that we already talked about? One, he's healed a paralyzed guy, like a lifelong paralyzation. He's like, yeah, just get up. And he gets up. And he walks out, right? So there's, there's that option, right? Like he, we know he can heal that guy. But then, not only that, the, the, the nobleman's son or the royal official's son, you guys remember how that worked? He didn't even go see him. The father came running 20 miles to find Jesus, says, Hey, my son is sick. And Jesus is like, Yeah, go home. He'll be fine. He, and in that moment, from 20 miles away, Jesus speaks a word and he's healed. So the father goes home and finds out he's healed. And so, so it makes sense, like, shoot, I've got a brother who's sick. I'm going to go to Jesus. I'm going to go talk to this guy because he's already proven himself to be able to heal people, whether he's right next to them or he's far away. And so the sisters send word. They're trying to get Jesus' attention are trying to say, "Hey, come! Are you? Are you? Can you see this? Do you know about what's happening with, with Lazarus over here? We, we we need you to be paying attention here. I mean, could, you could just say the word from wherever you are, and he'll be fine. But isn't isn't that kind of how all crisis moments and when we're in distress really work for us, uh, in in our lives? Right? When 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 we're in distress, when when there is there is a tragedy happening." We, and, and, and it's it's too powerful for us to handle, we have to send out word to get somebody to be paying attention who has power and authority to do something about this crisis moment in our lives. And so, so you guys know, that's why uh, on speed dial, for most of us, you can click your phone five times and what comes up? 911. You can get the word out. You, when you're in crisis, when you're in desperate need and you can't do anything about it, You've got quick access to authorities, to emergency services. You can call the rescue squad. That's how all of this works. When we're in crisis and we're powerless and we need support, we try to get other people to pay attention. We try to say, hey, come on, come this way. So like when you're you're a soldier on the battlefield and you need air support, you pop a smoke signal, you toss it out, and they know where you are. When you're a ship in distress and you're sinking, you shoot up a signal flare and you try to get people to pay attention. Hey, here's where we are. We are in desperate need of help. Or like uh, in the movie Cast Away with Tom Hanks, right? He's on the island. He's all by himself. What's the first thing he does? He He digs the word help in the sand big enough so that ships or planes passing by can see it. When you're on an island all alone, and you write out SOS, you are making sure other people can see that they're paying attention. And so the sisters are sending out the call. They're sending out their distress signal. Jesus, Lazarus, the one that you love, he's sick. Now, I don't blame them for thinking that way because we're all taught to think that way. We have to think that way because we are not... We are not unlimited, uh, we don't have unlimited power. We, we, we have to rely on others. We're not infinite in our own nature. And in the same way, the way that we have to treat emergency services, everything around us in that way, we can translate it to how we think about God, the way that he sees us or thinks about us. In a way, we can treat God just like a 911 service, can we not? We can treat him like an emergency service Online, we say, hey God, are you paying attention? God, are you are you seeing where I'm at? Right? If maybe maybe you've cried out to God, hey God, I'm I'm in a war zone right now, and then I, I here's the here's the smoke signal. Can you send down divine firepower? Can you send down just a, a care package, something? Or maybe, maybe you are just sinking in grief. And you shoot up the signal flare, you're like, God, are are you even paying attention? Do you see me? because I'm about to drown or maybe maybe you are just cast away on this island of despair and loneliness and you've been riding in the sand and and you feel like God's not paying attention to you. He doesn't know where you are. You might be wondering, God, do do you even see me? <laughs> I'm, I'm God, please. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but have you ever had one of those moments where you've just really wondered God do you even notice? are you paying attention? you ever wonder if Jesus actually sees you right now now some of the some of the background that some of us carry in is in 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 an effort to try to get a like a louder or a brighter signal flare to see if that'll get God's attention on us we stop like sin habits we start trying to be better Christians and maybe that will get God's attention on our lives i, I mean I, I can tell you i've i've done that before too i've thought maybe hey i i need sanctification god's not sending it so i'm going to try to be better myself and maybe god will god will send it then right we try to improve ourselves to get God's like. Oh well, hey, there's somebody who's doing better. I want him. he got my attention. Like, like, is God really like that? Is that how how Jesus really is? Like, do you? Here's a, here's the key question. Do you think Jesus would not have known what was going on in Lazarus's body if the sis- sisters didn't send word to him? What's the answer? No, he would he would have known. He absolutely would have known what was going on in Lazarus' body in his life, even if the sisters hadn't said a thing. How, How do we know this? Well, look at verse 11. A few days have passed, and he says this. He told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him up. Now, as Christians, we talk about death for believers as falling asleep because we know there's going to be a day when Jesus is like, all right, get up. It's resurrection time. But look at verses 13 through 15. Verse 13, Jesus, however, was speaking about his death, but they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So Jesus then told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let's go to him. How would Jesus know? Like the sisters didn't send a second invoice. Like they didn't send a, like a request or a notice or anything like Jesus just two days later is like, yeah, it's time for us to go. He's died out of nowhere. Where does that come from? He didn't need another signal flare. He didn't need another notice. Jesus knew the instant Lazarus died, and it triggered his departure to go to him. So no, Jesus didn't need the sisters to send a signal. He didn't need the sisters to notify him, because Jesus already saw Lazarus. Lazarus was in full view Along with everything else that's on Jesus' mind and heart. This isn't anything new, though. This isn't anything new. You can remember when Jesus was calling out all of his disciples to follow him, and, and Philip goes and tells Nathaniel about this Jesus from Nazareth, and Nazareth, or J- Nathaniel comes to Jesus, and, and Jesus says this thing to, to Nathaniel Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I what? I saw you. Guys, we have to understand Jesus is God, and inherent in the nature of God is his ability to be paying attention to you at all times of your life. No matter when crisis strikes, in the night or in the day, in the older part of your life or in the younger years, he is already paying attention to your needs he's already paying attention to your life because he's god this was one of the first things that got established about god and his character in the book of genesis you can remember the story of hagar and and ishmael right it, hagar was abraham's slave right and, uh, and, and and ended up becoming a mistress because they couldn't make kids. And so they're like, well, just here's Hagar. And so Abraham uh, impregnates Hagar and makes Sarah really mad. And Sarah beats Hagar and then Abraham neglects her and boots her out and sends her off. And God finds Hagar, the slave girl. He finds her. And Hagar leaves that encounter saying, Have I s- just seen the God who sees me? And in that, God gets a name from a slave girl because he is Elroy, the God who sees. Guys, you cannot be lost to God's sight. No matter if something takes you to the ends of the earth, or if you try to hide yourself, you cannot be lost to His sight. He doesn't lose you. He's like, oh, oh, where I lost my children? Where'd they go? I do that in the mall. He never does that in the universe, right? God, God is not like the prophets of Baal or their God, right? Baal, who, who kind of he? Oh, maybe he wandered off, and maybe he's he's taking a nap. You need to wake him up. Maybe say something a little bit louder to get his attention. Maybe he'll pay attention to you. No, he's not like that God. Yahweh is like no other God. In fact, if there's a psalm that I think kind of summarizes this, David, in appreciation for this truth, says this, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Now for those of you who have something to hide, this is terrifying. (laughs) Like, crap! He He saw last night? He saw yesterday? Oh, he saw that fight? Oh, no. But for those of you in crisis... For those of you lost, abandoned, alone, in distress, this is incredible news. Because God sees you. He's not lost you. I mean, even, even though God is paying attention and upholding every single molecule that exists across the universe, he's able to pay attention to you he sees you but that only goes so far as good news think about it what if the person who had this potential or capability or ability to see you at all times and know you that on that level didn't care about you what if he didn't care what 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 if what if that was just to judge, to condemn? What if that was kind of like just Big Brother, like George Orwell in nineteen eighty four? Right? What, what if it's just to to hold you accountable to all your wrongdoing? You know, a, a few weeks ago, I had the privilege of of counseling a, a young lady who was in crisis, and um, and part of what she was processing through was even her understanding of God. She, she didn't really know who God was. She, she actually wasn't even willing to put a label on God or, or even to kind of say who he is. She's just going, to but I pray, she would say. I, I pray. I said, well, that's that's really great. I mean, pray, pray, great. That's good. Uh, but what does it matter if there's nobody paying attention? Oh. But what if There is somebody paying attention, but he doesn't actually love you or care about you. Well, then prayer doesn't really seem to help. What if Jesus could be paying attention to Lazarus, but had no sense of affection for him? That would be devastating. But is that the news? Is that the heartbeat in this story? No. No, you see sisters when they concocted their plan, they wrote out their notice and sent it to Jesus they gave Jesus a reminder of the basis of their request and what was the basis? look look I mean you can tell me look at look at what he says in verse 3. so the sisters sent a message to him, Lord, the one you what? the one you love is sick. My goodness, Jesus loves this guy. Look at verse verse five, right? John just doesn't say that. Like, (laughs) like, you know, some people have an elevated view of themselves like these sisters. Yeah, man, we're just, we're Jesus' bee's knees. He loves us, right? No, no, no. Like, what if that wasn't true? John records it as fact. Verse five. Now, Jesus loved Martha, her sister Mary, and Lazarus. It is deeply true. It is part of who he is. So, not only does this Jesus care, like, not only does he see them, but he loves them. Not only does he see Lazarus, but he loves Lazarus. Guys, this is the first time in the Gospel of John ever recorded so far that Jesus actually loves a person. We've seen that he loves the world, we've seen that he loves the Father. We've seen that, that, that people love God or don't love God. This is the first time recorded in this gospel where Jesus loves a certain people. And isn't that incredible news? Like, it's one thing to take on the identity as a corporate body of believers. Like we are the church, we are the beloved of Jesus, and we praise God for that. But it's another thing when we realize that that love isn't just simply or strictly a corporate love, it is an individual, precise love for you. Like He loves you specifically. He loves Lazarus and Martha and Mary. He has this unconditional, unstoppable love for you. This God, again, who's holding all the molecules of the universe in their place, has great affection, unstoppable affection for you, specifically. Praise God. So, we find out that that Jesus loves Lazarus. He are, he's already paying attention. He already knows the ways and the comings and goings of Lazarus. And, and not only that, but he loves Lazarus. So praise the Lord. Jesus loves Lazarus. What would you expect then for Jesus to do at this point? Get running or just speak the word, right? I mean, shoot, that's what the sisters kind of were thinking. Uh, When when you love someone and that person is in crisis, there's something really natural about you just wanting to go, all right, I'm coming. I am coming. I'm going to be there quick. I know when uh, my my dad's dad died, uh, we called him poopah. It was Swedish. Uh, My grandma hated it because it sounded a lot like poop, but, Pupa, uh, when he died in 2009, uh, the night before, it was an instant, it was an instant, like, a a really quick, like, 24-hour, 48-hour thing, and I found out, I think it was on a Tuesday afternoon, or evening and I, I it, my dad was saying this is not looking good and I loved my grandfather and I wanted to go as quickly as I could but it was too late into the night and so my dad wouldn't let me drive I was I was still kind of too young it was a long trip and and so the next day as soon as I got up I was off and I was running I was driving down it was a two and a half hour drive that I crunched down into an hour and 45 minutes I loved my grandfather so I wanted to be there as quickly as I could and so, so it makes sense. These sisters are like, hey, hey, Jesus, we know that you love our brother Lazarus. So, so would you just come? Would you come get him out of this predicament that he's in? Because it's not looking good. If they can just let him know and remind him of his love for them, maybe, maybe he'll hop on his donkey and he'll be racing real quick there, right? All right, whatever that steed is called. Or he could just say the word. He could just speak. And everything would be undone. And Lazarus would be fine. Uh, That's what we would understand for for Jesus' love for us, is it not? Come quick, pay attention, care about us, fix things. Well, Jesus tells us, this gospel tells us exactly what it looks like for Jesus to love us. Look at verse 6. Remember verse 5, he just specifically said, that Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. Verse 6. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Guys, some of your translations, maybe specifically the NIV translation, uh, gets it wrong. It says, yet when he heard, implying that Jesus' love was in opposition to the waiting. That's wrong. The Greek here, the original, hos un ekusin," is actually rendered therefore. It should be so when he heard. He loved them. He loved Lazarus. He loved Martha. He loved Mary. So when he heard, because he heard, he waited. That shows us that Jesus' delay, his waiting was not at odds with his love, but was motivated by his love. <laughs> how do you take that and shove that into your theology? How do you make sense of that? How 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 does that fit with your understanding of Jesus? I mean, guys, we, we, love, we love those parts in this story where we see Jesus deeply moved by the crisis that they're in, right? We love to hear that, that, that he was uh, the, the shortest verse in the Bible, verse 35. Jesus, what? He wept. Out of love, he wept. Ah, oh, but here we see out of love, Jesus waits. Out of love, Jesus waited Jesus loves Lazarus, therefore he waited until Lazarus died? How does that work with our definition of love? Do we change Jesus or do we change our understanding of what it means to love? Well, I'm not touching Jesus. Except for when I see him face to face. Maybe I need to re-understand what it means for Jesus to love me. And we have a lot to deal with here. We have a lot to swallow here if we have this this small of an understanding of Jesus. If, If all Jesus is in our lives is this divine emergency butler service call them up in prayer, uh, I need this, bring it, ding, then this will not compute for you. Because this passage, these concepts, shows us that God can both love you and make you wait. It shows you that God can both love you and not give you what you want. it also shows you that God can both love you and allow you to suffer. And in the context of this story, it also shows us that God can both love you and allow you to die. Gulp. How can that compute? Unless... We understand that death itself for the Christian, for the one who's loved by Christ, is not a sign that his love has been cut off. Can you remember what we just read together that Luke led us through in Romans 8? Paul's persuaded. That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor thing present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from what? The love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Death is not a sign that we've been cut off from his love. In fact, in Christ Jesus, death has simply become the doorway to his infinite love. As death is not a signal that you've been cut off from his love. And so Lazarus' death was not a sign that Jesus stopped loving Lazarus. You know, I I, I do need to kind of address like some in-house thing here. Um, because there's this phrase that I, that I keep hearing as, as a pastor. I keep hearing it. I don't know if I keep hearing it among us or out in the community. I can't remember where I keep hearing it. Uh, but it's a phrase that makes uh, any, any kind of person who's, who's very familiar with this, it makes us cringe. This is the phrase. You ready? Well, I believe God won't give me more than I can't handle. I, 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 let, me, let me say that again for the back. Uh, God won't give me more than I can handle. Uh, what if that was Lazarus' theology? Uh, he's lying on his deathbed, right? He's, he's coughing up a lung and he, uh, uh, I'm going to believe that God is not going to give me more than I can handle. All right, here's death. Handle that. Right? Can, can he, could, he, could he hold up to it? No, he couldn't handle it. It's clear that Jesus will really allow us to go through things that we can't handle that we can't hold up under, that will crush us without him. Why? Because he's pointing us to the deepest reality of the gospel. That's the whole heart of it. We can't handle death. We can do nothing about it except fall victim to it. We need someone to come in and to speak life, to punch death in the mouth and raise us up to life. Because we can't do it. Death will crush us. But the gospel tells us again and again that what we couldn't handle, Jesus perfectly handled. And so the whole point, the whole point of God giving us things that we can't handle is to thrust us on Christ. You know, Charles Spurgeon, he once put it this way, and I've said this a few times. I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. So uh, I'm going to develop like a, like, a, like, a, like a swear jar out in the lobby, 25 cents. Every time I hear God's not going to give me, I can't handle, you pay up. It's going to go to an offering. It'll go to serve our people in community, whatever it is. If you see it out there, don't get offended. I'm just saying, stop saying it. Because it's just not true. It's a misquote of another passage. We'll be at another time. But here we see Jesus loved Lazarus. And so he waited to allow Lazarus to go through death. Why did Jesus wait? Now, we've only gotten a half of the way of the story, and there's three reasons why Jesus waits. Some of you already know the story, and you're, like, ready to spoil it, trust me, it's that good. It's worth spoiling. But there's three reasons why Jesus waited. The one of them I've already said, verse 5 and 6, because he loved Lazarus. That's why he waited. We we saw that, so that's already covered. Why did Jesus wait? Because he loved Lazarus. There's a second reason, verse 4. When Jesus heard it, he said, "'This sickness will not end in death.'" But it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. What's the motive there for waiting? The glory of God. God is all about glorifying his character, his nature, and we can see that on full display in what happens in this story. And this also is a great comfort for us because sometimes believers pin God's glory and God's love as two contradicting things, when in reality, here they are in perfect harmony. God's glory and His love for you are in perfect harmony. They're not in opposition to one another here. That's the second reason why God waited, why Jesus waits so that he would be glorified, so that the father would be glorified who wants to glorify the son. And then look here in verse 14 through 15, we get the third reason. Verse 14, after he had told them that Lazarus has fallen asleep. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. I'm glad for you that I wasn't there. In other words, I'm glad for you that I waited to go. Why? So that you may believe. Because what if... The most loving thing that God wants to do in your life is build your faith so that you would believe, so that your faith would be more unshakable, unstoppable. When the waves crash in, your eyes are still on Jesus. When the storm billows roll, your eyes are still on Jesus. What if that is the most loving thing that God wants to do in your life is to build your own faith, to keep you confident in his character, and to expose you more and more and more to who he is? Brothers and sisters, fire is where gold is purified. And your faith is more precious than gold. And so God can turn up the fire of suffering to purify and refine your faith because that is more loving than just simple comfort and ease throughout all of life. Because I want a better faith. I want a higher faith. I want a greater faith. I want a more deeply rooted faith. And if the suffering is on the pathway to that, all glory to Christ. And so we have this... Three parts to this story, Jesus saw Lazarus, he loves Lazarus, so he waited for Lazarus. He waits. We have these three parts, and we've talked through so much, and my hope and my prayer is that there's simply a single one work. If God did more work, praise God, but I've been praying for this single work that he would do in our lives and our faith this morning, that he would just simply humble us. that he would bring us lower and exalt himself higher in our faith. Because this story, what we've talked about this morning, it forces us to have a category in our relationship with our Father in heaven that Jesus himself had with his own Father in heaven it forces us to have this category in our prayer life. Remember when Jesus was in the garden the night that he was betrayed, and he's praying, and he prays, and he says, Father, let this cup pass from me, the cup of God's wrath that he was about to drink in on the cross. He says, let this cup pass from me. But then what does he say? The Son say to the Father, he says, but not my will, but your will be done. This Whole narrative so far with the story of Lazarus, even though we know what's about to happen uh, when Jesus shows up, this forces us to yield our plans to Jesus, to surrender them to him, to, to believe that he's got higher ways and higher plans than ours. You know, one, one time uh, there, was a, there was a prayer group happening and they were praying for something very specifically and it was kind of a crisis moment and somebody prayed And ended their prayer with, Not my will, but yours be done. And another person there kind of, Don't say that. Don't give God an out. (laughs) Lord Jesus, don't strike her down. (laughs) I don't know. The last time I read this book, I was not the authority. Over God. I just could, I can't find it in there. He's God. We're not. We are not in authority over Him. The highest we get is we get to be partners with Him, co laborers with Christ. And the simplest is we're just sheep in His pasture. And so, all of this so far, we're only just halfway through the story. Not even halfway, we're probably a third of the way through this story. And my prayer, when crisis hits, my prayer is that we kind of use this to develop our theology and how we rate on the Lord, how we relate to the Lord, how we come out through our, or go through our crisis moments, humble and depending on Christ. And so uh, I, I, I know that some of you have been through already deep crisis some of you are in that right this very moment. And so I just kind of want to leave you with kind of four kind of steps to, to take when you're in crisis moment. And it's not a complete list because the story about Lazarus isn't done, but so far. Here's what I would encourage you to do. First, recognize God already sees you. Like When you get the phone call from the doctor. When you get the phone call from the police notifying you, when you, when, uh, like, I, I, this wasn't a category of thought here in America, but when, when terrorists roll into the city, like they did in Iraq, recognize already God is paying attention to you. Sit there for a moment and say, God, I, I actually, when I woke up this morning, you were paying attention to me. I know that when I lay down my head tonight, you're already there and you're already paying attention. Take the time to recognize that God already sees you. You don't have to waste your breath praying, God, do you see? Are you paying attention? Did, do, do I? God's not an ambulance service. He doesn't show up. Oh, crap. What do I got to do to figure this out? No, no. He's already there. He's already paying attention. So recognize that God already sees you. Secondly, recognize or remember he unconditionally loves you. Remember that truth. Remember that you don't have to start being on your best behavior to get God to pay attention to you and get his love. He's already madly in love with you, not because of you, but because of Christ. So remember, he unconditionally loves you. And so when crisis hits, recognize God already sees you. Remember, he unconditionally loves you. Request his unlimited aid. This in no way is to say stop praying. We're to continue to pray. We're to make every request known to God so that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding can guard our hearts. We're to request the things that we need from him in his infinite storehouses. We're to be like that widow going before the unrighteous judge again and again, give me justice, give me justice, right? And, and the, uh, the, un, the unrighteous judge finally grants it. Why? Because he's annoyed. But God is to be better than that. And he is better than that. So keep knocking, keep praying, keep requesting, but not from a place of desperation trying to get his attention or forgetting about his love for you. And then lastly, resign yourself to his higher will. Isaiah 55, your ways are higher than mine. Resign yourself. Yield yourself. Whatever you think you need, pray like Jesus. Yet not my will, your will be done in my life. And so if you guys would bow your heads at this time, I kind of want to just allow you to interact with with these truths, with these concepts, but most importantly, I just want to invites you into that space in your relationship with your father in heaven with the son at his right hand and with the spirit of God that's in you I just want to invite you into the space where you are interacting with God on these levels maybe you have been weary and leery of this idea that God has somehow forgotten you that he's lost sight of you maybe that's where you need to interact with the Lord And let him speak truth to your heart. Or maybe it's remembering his unconditional love for you. Maybe you've seen him just as a strict judge and not a loving, compassionate, caring father. Maybe that's the space where you need to relate to the Lord. Maybe you just need to make your requests known to God. You know he sees you. You know he loves you. So lift up your requests from his unlimited aid and grace and mercy. Or maybe maybe you just need to spend time resigning yourself over to his higher will, which is better and greater. So if you would just take a second to interact with the Lord, and I'll pray. Heavenly Father, we, as human beings, are all too familiar with the pain that comes from the fallenness of this world. Crisis moments weren't even a thing in the garden. Brokenness and lostness were not existent when you created this world and called it very good. And yet because of the fall, crisis moments have plagued this world. From as big as hurricanes that wipe out regions. To as heartbreaking as getting the news that cancer is back. And everywhere in between. God, we need to know that you see us. We need to know that you love us. We want to have the faith that has the confidence that you are every moment giving us all that we need. And turning all things together for our good. And we want to have the kind of faith that's willing to surrender to your plans and your will. And so I pray for us as a church family. That you would help our faith that you would help our belief. I pray that we would have these confidences and more when we feel forgotten, when we feel like we're in the war zone, when we feel like we're drowning, when we feel like we're stranded. Remind us again and again and again that we're not forgotten, but that you see. Remind us that you unconditionally love us because of Christ Jesus. Remind us that you have infinite storehouses of grace and mercy, that we can just request things from you and help us to resign ourselves to your will at the end of the day. God, we love you. You have won our hearts And we agree you are our king. And so we'll have this kind of faith together as a church family because your word tells us to. We will agree. So we love you. We thank you for the work that you've done among us and in us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you guys would stand, I'd love to pray a prayer of benediction over you. If you have some time to hang out just a little bit, we have refreshments out in the lobby. would love for you to get to know one another. One policy you could adopt is show up early, leave late for church. Uh, that would be a really cool kind of thing to help build community. Try to go find one of the life group leaders if you're interested in one of the groups to be a part of them. Find out the start date and the location and some of the details. Uh, but if you need prayer, maybe you are in crisis and you just need some of that support. We'd love to pray over you. If you'd come forward, I'd love to, to pray over you as well. Um, don't, don't leave today without being able to, to receive that divine aid. Um, but I just want to pray a prayer of benediction from, from Leviticus. Uh, the high priestly prayer, and it says that may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace both now and in the world to come. And all God's people said, amen. Love you guys. Have an incredible blessed week.